Welcome to the Alon's Geek Podcast. Uh, this is the second half of our discussion about different role-playing games that I encountered at Gen Con 2018. Um, just a little warning, the audio is a little rough at some points. Uh, you'll hear my dog begging for attention. Uh, sorry about that, but it was either leave the dog in or not have anything to post this month. Well, here's the show. So, um, the other game, uh, what I'm going to talk about is... It'll be much more brief, I think, because it is actually a beta test version of the game. It is nowhere near done yet, uh, which you can see because, uh, for one, it's got playtest document V1 smeared all over every page. Uh, there's big black squares where the artwork will go. Nice. Uh, some of the some of the pages actually do have their artwork. Some of them entries just <laughs> say "coming soon." <laughs> it's great. Uh, but that is the Ethereum role-playing game from Anvil Games. Poking through it, I'm about halfway through at the moment, it has some parts that really remind me of uh, Through the Breach, which is for good reason, and that is that at least one of the people working on Ethereum RPG worked on Through the Breach. Uh, that makes sense. I found it here earlier. Yeah, yes, uh, Aaron Darland uh, is credited in both books. I don't, I couldn't dig up my original core rule book for uh, Through the Breach, but in the revised one, he's in there. I don't know how many others might be, but um, uh, where that's most obvious is the patterns section, which uh, patterns are what you, they're the programs that your your character has you know, built or bought in the Ethereum and that they use for doing stuff. So you might have a pattern that is a gun, you know, it's or a pattern that is a jetpack or a car or a little spy drone that you control. Cool. Um, or a house, <laughs> even. Like, everything is a pattern there. And... They have a fair number of uh, sample build patterns that are just for basic, typical stuff that you would want. Um, but there's also a big section of just how to build a pattern for your character. And I think a starting character gets like 15 points of complexity worth of patterns. And so most patterns start with a base complexity of two, and then they'll have maybe a half a dozen different options that you can apply to them that increase, or in a few cases, decrease their complexity. Um, like the weapons, there's uh, the weapons start off uh, only being usable in melee because it's just a, a basic weapon. And so it doesn't matter what conceptual kind of weapon it is, it just, it's the pattern starts off in its default form as a melee weapon. And then you can increase its complexity to make it a short-ranged weapon. Okay. And increase it further to make it a medium range or a long range. But then there's also a uh, can only be used at range that decreases its 
complexity because it's no longer usable in melee. Um, That's basically a gun. Yes. (laughs) Then there's... uh, The drones, vehicles, and buildings, I think, are some of the most interesting looking ones because I haven't looked at the buildings, but I know the vehicles and the drones can actually have other programs built into them. So let's say you want a drone that has a gun mounted on it, or if you have a car that has a uh, machine gun mounted on the back of it, that's an integrated pattern option that you would build into the car pattern. So it's... That part, at least, is much like uh, designing your spells and manifest powers in Through the Breach. It's a bit complicated, but as long as you have the time to sit down and look at the options and read the section thoroughly, it's not really hard. Uh, What becomes hard is just figuring out what limitations you want to put on it. Because you only have so much complexity worth of patterns that you can start off with, and you can't actually build your own until you develop a certain knack. Which, uh, knacks are kind of part of the leveling system. Uh, You start off with five knacks, which are just sort of different special abilities. They might be things that reflect an organization that you are part of, or special talents that you have. And one of the knacks that you can pick up, because most of the knacks can be picked up during roleplay. There's a few that can only be taken at character creation, but most you can pick up uh, in gameplay. And one set of those is for pattern design. And the first one just lets you build patterns on your own. Downside to that is you can only build a pattern outside of the Ethereum, you have to log out, and the time differential uh, between the Ethereum and real space is like a 1 to 7 ratio, so if it takes you a full day of coding in reality, that means your character is not going to be around in the Ethereum for what people in the Ethereum will perceive as a full week. Jeez. Uh, which also kind of makes it handy as a game for, you know, if you lose some players for a little yeah. while, if somebody can't show up to a session, oh, they got disconnected, you know, <laughs> and so they're going to show up out. for quite a while, uh, you know, and, and for introducing new players uh, and stuff. It's, it's very easy uh, in that respect, and the game system itself seems pretty simple and straightforward. It like you were saying about uh, Wrath and Glory, seems to have some part, some you know, uh, uh, mechanical similarity to the old World of Darkness games, where your stats generate a number of dice yeah. that you roll. This one uses d10s, and you succeed on a seven, so it's really familiar. <laughs> yeah, it's, that is direct from the the World of Darkness games. Uh, Not a bad system though. And there's another mechanic in there. There's two different sorts of stunts, which are extra effects that you can get, but they put different requirements on you. And so some of them are excess stunts, which uh, the difficulty for a task is how many dice have to come up success. 
And what is a success is determined mostly by your character's rig, the hardware that they're using to log into the Ethereum. Okay. And so most of the time you know that your base uh, number that you need to roll on a die for it to be a success is, uh, for almost all the rigs, it's a seven. And then there's different things that can lower or raise the difficulty depending on the situation. But an excess is... Let's say it's a difficulty one task. That means you need to roll one die that is a seven or better. An excess stunt, if it says like you need one excess to trigger the stunt, then you need however many dice for the difficulty and one more. Okay. So fairly straightforward, self-explanatory. If I roll five dice and three of them come up seven and the difficulty was one, I have two excess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's nice when the game terms make sense. Yes. Uh, the other types of stunts are boosts. And what boosts require is... You see, uh, you can do an excess stunt after the roll. Boosts, you got to commit to that prior to actually rolling. Nice. Because boost boosts the difficulty... Or not the difficulty, but the target number. So if it's a one boost stunt, the number you need to roll is now an eight to get a success. Okay. <laughs> and then there is another resource called Glitch, which um, Glitch can be taken in a number of different ways. I don't remember most of them. I know one of the ones that like everybody has access to is... Uh, to reduce damage. Okay. So you, you take less damage in the Ethereum from an attack. Kind of like you make you make the bullets glitch out and so they don't hit yes. you. <laughs> and unfortunately, glitch, when you use glitch, it, much like the light side, dark side points, the um, ruin and glory, was that it? Uh, ruin and glory, yeah. Yeah. When you use glitch to do things... The GM gets glitch that they can then spend against you. And, you know, they don't, just like the dark side points and light side points, they don't have to spend it immediately. They can bank it and make it come back to haunt you later. <laughs> but, um. It's. In Wrath and Glory, you're kind of encouraged as the GM to uh, bank up Ruin and then drop it all on them when they get to, like, a boss fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or just wait until it's a, you know, this would be a point where it would be really inconvenient. You know, like, 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 like this would normally not be a big deal, but now it is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the, like, the way they suggest in the book for GMs to use it is, you know, unexpected complications and enemy preparedness. Um, so you glitched and you got someone's attention. And so maybe the bad guys are now more aware that you're coming, and so they prepare better to fight you. Smells like the Matrix. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And, and, I mean, that's obviously one of the inspirations toward this game. Yeah. I feel like, from what I've read so far, it looks like it's a pretty good reflection of that, and it manages to be a pretty simple system. Um, Like, I... At points, have wondered if 
maybe some stuff just didn't get typed into this document before it was printed, or if it really is just as simple as it seems. Because really, the patterns seem to only be the only complicated part. And they're not even that complicated. Uh, it's entirely possible that that's a built-in reflex from years of playing older RPGs. I wouldn't doubt it. Because I know when I was reading through Wrath and Glory, and when I've been reading through other RPGs in the past, I'll read like one really complicated thing, like for Wrath and Glory, the character creation. I read the really complicated character creation, and then I read like how a combat round works, and it's just like, there's no way it's that simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and as for initiative systems, since we talked about the initiative in Wrath and Glory, um, this uses cycle speed, and I haven't read super in-depth just how that works yet, but I got a little description from one of the guys at the booth. And that's basically, it's a 12-slot clock, basically, uh, for the round. And if you're on a certain position and you take an action that, like all the actions you might take have different cycle speeds listed for them. They'll say like, you know, it might be a 5 CS thing um, or a 1 C, one CS, whatever. Um, and I think that it basically, you engage that action on your slot where you are in the cycle, but it doesn't go off until you oh. hit that spot. Oh, I'm nervous about that. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how that works out in this game, but that sounds an awful lot like uh, Scion 1st Edition. Yeah. And that was, a, that was a part of the combat that we just we just ignored that rule because it made complex, combat too complicated. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not 100% comfortable with that idea, but I also haven't read that section of the book yet, so I don't know just how difficult it is to deal with or yeah. how complicated that it really is. I feel like if they've if they've seen other games do it and they've figured out how to make it work better because I mean technically speaking if you really look at the rules on Scion you're supposed to print out the wheel. Like you're supposed to print out like, like scan the page that has the wheel on it print it out and then cut it out of that page and then get little tokens that represent each person that's involved in the fight, and then put the tokens on the slots. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I'm on slot one, but I take a six-speed action, so I move my token down to slot seven, and then when we get to slot seven, my action goes off. Yeah. I think it may also be a thing that just... It may be that it moves you to the new initiative when you do an action. So, like, if you do low cycle speed actions you'll stay high in the initiative order maybe yeah i'm not really sure yet but um that's the only kind of iffy looking thing that i've seen in this beta test copy of the game which if i remember right because i talked to a bunch of different people in different booths but i think that it was the ethereum booth where the guy uh, that i talked to said that this book is is already like it is already expected to turn out about 20 pages thicker than it already is. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and it's a beta test. So it... if that book, when it finally comes out, if that book comes with a dial for the combat, 
That would be nice. That would be nice. That would be really helpful. I think that would make the game... That would, that would make that style of combat a lot more dramatic and a lot less headache. Yeah. Which was the problem we had with Scion was it was such a headache trying to run it like that without having that visual aid. Yeah. Well, and I conceptually kind of like the idea that I proposed there of that it doesn't really... It doesn't affect when your action goes off so much as it changes the initiative order for the next round. I kind of like that. So kind of like in second edition. around because you're like, you know, hacking a pylon and it's taking you a while. Obviously, like, yeah, you should go later in the initiative order later on, maybe. That, you know, seems kind of reflective of a tense situation where there's, you know, where the timing is very precise. Kind of like, uh, I don't know if you ever played AD&D second edition. Very briefly, in the, I think, month before Third End came out. the um, They have one of the ways that you can run initiative in that is that every action has a like a, a speed factor, basically. Yeah. And you roll a die for your side in the initiative. Mm-hmm. And um, then you add your action's speed to the die roll for that turn. Mm-hmm. And then that builds the initiative order, and it's the lowest number goes first and the biggest number goes last. And so, you know, like attacking with a great sword has a speed of six. So if your side's initiative was three, then you go at slot nine. Right. And then it's just every turn you roll the die to see where you go with the action you're taking. And that one, if you have a group of people that are actually communicating and working through it correctly, that can be a fun way to play combat. It can get really dramatic that yeah, way. Yeah, I think... Those systems seem to work well as long as everybody is on board. <laughs> yeah, if you if you have somebody who's just really not used to it and isn't adapting well to it. Or if they're a player that has a harder time focusing yeah. on what's going on. Like if they're a little inattentive, that can become a problem. Like, as a random, non-specific example, um, the guy who cut off his own tail, I would never use that system with him. <laughs> yes, the... <laughs> Oh, tail cutter. I just... I just. Uh, he has a tendency to just pay attention to the cool part of a situation and not to the less cool parts of a situation, and so I would just never use that system with him. Yeah. I mean, he's a fun role player to have around. Oh, yeah. But I would never get involved in a complicated combat system with him. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, a thing that you have to know your players. <laughs> I'm trying to find it here. I know there's a section that I spotted that talks about glitch. Yeah, here it is. So, uh, I'm just going to read direct from the book here. Uh, Glitch is a resource available to all players. It represents the power of their minds to shape the Ethereum. However, this sort of power always comes at a cost. For each glitch the player uses, the GM gains a glitch. Players can use an amount of glitch per action equal to the tens digit of their will value. They do not have a limit on their glitch except for this. But each glitch they use gives the GM a glitch as well. Now, there are a few knacks that'll say, like, the first time you use glitch to do this, the GM doesn't get any. 
<laughs> so I like that as a mechanic in there. But continuing the section here. The GM can do many powerful things to players with glitch, which are covered in the Game Master chapter on page blank. Because like all the page references in here are just two at symbols. Because <laughs> it, it's a beta document. So in addition to this, there are some things that might gain glitch unintentionally from players. Destroying property gives one glitch. So, don't just wreck people's stuff in the Ethereum. Also, like, that kind of makes sense. Everything is running off of the pylons and nodes, like, server-wise, and so when you start changing things, you're destabilizing the system, right? And people notice. Uh, creating noise, because there is an attack option. There's a, there's a pattern you can use that creates noise. The, the like, the raw destructive uh, nature of the Ethereum. Oh, that stuff I kept throwing your people into. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, thematically, those are actual individual people, I think. I thought they were programs. <laughs> I'm a little... Fuzzy. Fuzzy on how things are in the Ethereum minis. but And the big one... Murdering people for no reason. Plus three glitch. <laughs> I like that for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> because we know it happens. Because that was just a, a blatant, uh, here is a codified way for the GM to punish you. For being a murder hobo. being crazy. <laughs> like, commit to the role play. You know, and if the character has a good reason to kill someone, if the character's a psycho... Then yeah, <laughs> but if you're just moderately annoyed by an NPC, don't kill them. <laughs> it's it's. I know when I first started playing D and D, I had a problem with what I called chaotic jerk, which was people that were playing chaotic neutral to get away with playing chaotic evil. Yeah, and they would just do all kinds of dirtbag crap because oh I'm chaotic neutral. I'm just playing my alignment, and it's just like no, you're not. <laughs> and so there's a, that's a built-in codified way to no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, and that leads me to what I'm thinking might ought to be our topic for next episode. Um, tournament slash event slash con etiquette. I could take that. And... Um, so, and by that I mean I have a lot I could complain about that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, be, we'll have a hard time limiting ourselves to a half hour ish. Uh, as is, we've already gone nearly an hour. So, um, uh, I guess we'll uh, call it a wrap on this episode, and um, we'll see you in a month. <laughs> yeah, they both came out. And they're both around here somewhere. Oh, it's that guy that's allergic to us. <laughs> <laughs>